As has been mentioned before, I'm Earl Slotman. I have uh, been in the ministry for over 30 years, and but my, my greater claim to fame in North Holland is that I happen to be the younger brother of Joan Bauman. So we're not saying how old either of us are, it's just that I'm her little brother. Um, so the as we were praying with the elders before, one of them asked um, if I could give a synopsis of what the, the message is about. And um, it took two minutes, but they said I could go a little bit longer here. So just to let you know. Um, and anyway, what a blessing to be here at North Holland Reformed Church once again. I've, I've been here a few times for Pulpit Supply. And perhaps the thing that I am remembered the most for is the illustration of me driving over 100 miles an hour several times. In fact, every car I own. Um, <clears throat> but the illustration, some of you will remember, wasn't that I drove fast. The illustration was we typically worship at 35 miles an hour, where it's safe, it's familiar, it's okay. But we're coming into the very presence of God. God is the one who has made all things. God is the one who deserves all of our honor, all of our glory, our focus, our being very aware of everything that's going on so that he might receive honor and glory. And the focus that is needed for driving 100 miles an hour ought to tickle our imagination, should spur us on spiritually so that we do worship with a passion, with an intensity, with a focus. Well, today, as we look to God's Word, I invite you to take your Bibles out. We're going to be looking at Romans. We're going to be looking at, in fact, uh, very quickly, the whole of Romans. Uh, there's a uh, Lots and lots of good stuff in Romans, and if any of you have ever studied it or read through it or taken a class in Romans, uh, we are taking very much uh, a scan of what's going on here. Uh, in fact, I like to say Romans is, is kind of like the Great Lakes water system. We love to go out to Lake Michigan, see the vastness of the lake, watch sunsets, um, I like to geek out on how many gallons of water there are and all that kind of thing. And, and yet, Lake Michigan is just one of several huge lakes that create the Great Lakes water system. We're so privileged to have that in our area. Well, Romans is something like that. Romans has these vast areas of information of theology of who God is and how he relates to mankind and what men are, and women are supposed to be doing. And uh, it, it's like this, the first several chapters are about God's righteousness and what sin is and how every one of us is a sinner. And, and there's this vast idea of what sin is. But then there's also this other vast idea of who is Jesus and what did he do and how did he, he create salvation so that we could be saved by grace through faith. 
wow, what an incredible, vast area to think about, to study, to be informed about. And then, then there's another vast area, another lake of refreshment, we could say, because as we study in Romans, we get to about chapter 8, and we are convinced that nothing in all of the world, not height nor depth, not life, not birth, not even death, can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Amazing, incredible, vast, spiritual goodness for us. And right from there, Romans moves into, but what about Israel? What about the Jewish faith? What about all those promises that we see in the Old Testament to those folks there? Did God give up on that? And now he just does something new? How can we know that what this new thing is, is going to last? If the old is just going to pass. There's several chapters in which that is grappled with. Another vast thing that um, you could do a whole study, a whole series of sermons about that. That gets us to the end of chapter 11. And if, please, get your Bibles out now to 12, chapter 12, because we're going to spend some time in chapter 12 and dig in here and find out exactly some of the things that God has for us. As Paul writes to the Romans, but he also writes to us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you have given us your word as we have it open before us. Impress upon us once again that this is your truth. This is the truth. And there is a great blessing in not just understanding it, but believing it and living it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> all these noises, noises in a new place, it's good. <clears throat> First of all, I want you to understand that this particular chapter, I have split into three areas so that you'll know. If you're a note taker, these three areas are the appeal. Secondly, is generously gifted. And third is God's guardrails. So the appeal. Let's read the first two verses of Romans 12. I'm using the uh, revised, no, the English, what is it? The New English Version? I don't know, the EVS, ESV. I get it wrong. My initials are E-V-S, and it's supposed to be E-S-V. 
Anyway, if my version is different than your version, follow along is what I wanted to say. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. This is the appeal. I appeal to you, therefore. Let let me stop right there. We're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse, so you're not going to be able to just put your Bibles away, keep them open. But I appeal to you. Paul is saying here, this is like, I'm calling you aside. I want you to sit at the table with me so I can look you right in the eye because I'm going to talk to you right now. We're not talking big lakes. We're talking you and me, eye to eye. And he says, I appeal to you. Because of all the Great Lakes stuff, he's saying, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. All of that that happened in chapters 1 through 11, I appeal to you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As I started to prepare for this message, I thought, there are at least eight sermons I've heard just on those few verses. But... But I want you to catch the emphasis here. The emphasis is that Paul wants this to be something you listen to, something that you're ready for, something that in the rest of this chapter, don't lose your focus because I'm going to talk to you about such serious good stuff that you don't want to miss it. This is the appeal, eye to eye. Specifically, I think he's saying, present yourselves. Present yourselves, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We're going to look at those further into this chapter. So, we begin again in verse 3. And Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, and members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Some people have taken this passage of Scripture and put it with other passages of Scripture and have done studies on the spiritual gifts. Well, there there are things that God has given to people for their service. Well, this isn't an exhaustive list of the things that God gives to his people. In fact, everyone, at the beginning of this passage that we just read, Paul is saying, 
eye to eye, every one of you, think seriously about this. Um, I was just talking to somebody before we came in here. When I was in high school, I had the idea I was all that. I really, I played basketball. I was starting on the basketball team. I cheered at the football games and actually led a cheering section. I, people looked up to me, and I was cool. Oh, boy. Some people, when they realize they have a spiritual gift, go like that. I'm all that. Some of the, the um, spiritual gifts that were listed here, uh, the guy who has gift of prophecy, I am cool. I can hear God from his word, and I can tell you what God wants you to hear. Look at me. I can prophesy. Paul started this by saying, think soberly. In fact, he says that by the measure of grace you have been given, by the measure of faith you have been given. In the first 11 chapters, Paul has talked about the only ones who are saved are those who are saved by grace through faith. In fact, if you're, you've made it this far reading in the book, you have that grace and faith. You have faith. And everybody who has that kind of faith by the Holy Spirit, you have been given something for you to do. Some way you can serve. And he says and specifically here that we are to use these gifts that have been given so that the body can work well. So that the the body of the church can work well. Just like I would hate to have to walk around without my left foot. I, I need it. It's part of having a function. Every one of us should think seriously, God has given us a gift to serve. Typically, we think of, so we'll serve others. Some of you will go down and have some coffee after the service, and somebody's going to serve you that coffee. You do something for somebody else. You serve. Well, this passage, I think, has a little more of a oomph to it. In fact, when we study the spiritual gifts, there definitely is a, a huge more oomph to it that we are given these things not so that we can just serve each other or so that we're nice and we've got a good group of people that we're serving. But as these folks are serving you coffee this morning, while they serve you, they're serving Jesus Christ. When we give a cup of cold water to somebody, it's as if we're serving Christ, that cup of cold water. If we teach Sunday school, it's as if we're teaching that class for Christ. 
It's when we prophesy, we're prophesying for Christ. All of our service, so the, the sober judgment here is that I'm serving Jesus Christ with what I have the ability to do. And every one of us should be passionate about wanting to serve Jesus Christ. He's been our Savior. He's the one who died for us. He rose for us. He sits at the seat of glory interceding for us. We serve him. It should be a natural flow of our lives. And Paul's just warning us here. Use those gifts to serve Christ. Not so that you can be all that. Like I was, of course. <clears throat> and so... This passage has an appeal, the first few verses. Then there's this passage about spiritual gifts or about serving Jesus Christ um, as, as the way that I had said we were going to look at it for you note takers. I got too many sheets of paper here. <laughs> that Christ has generously gifted us so that we can serve. We can serve him as we serve others. And now, the rest of this passage is about God's guardrails. Guards, God's guardrails. I, I told you that I was a basketball player. There are lines on the outside of the court, so you know what, where you can play, what you can do while you're inside those lines, kind of is up to the coach. It's kind of up to the players. Um, but there are certain lines that you don't go, go outside of. If you're driving your vehicle at more than 100 miles, even if you're driving your vehicle at 25 miles an hour, you want to stay in your lane on the road. If you get off the road, things go bad. Anybody who's driven in the last two weeks and seen where all the cars have gone off in the ditch and had to be pulled out, you know when you get out of the lane, things go bad. The rest of this chapter is the guardrails. These are the edges. Don't go beyond there. Stay inside. There's all kinds of great stuff that happens inside, but this is the marker to watch out for. These are God's guardrails. And so we start again at verse 9. <clears throat> and it says, Let love be genuine. And we all kind of want to be there. Yeah, everybody... We ought to love genuinely. Uh, but then he kind of expands on what is genuine love. There's several points that he makes here that show what genuine love is. Uh, he starts with, abhor what is evil. Really quite, a, un, until just recently, I put, abhor or hate what is evil, some versions say. I put that on an emotional level. 
that I should just get all angry about evil. Until I went to the Greek, and I, I looked up the Greek word here, and the Greek word is, is used at least twice before in the New Testament. One time it's used as something that happened. Um, Paul, many of you remember, he was um, shipwrecked, and as they were trying to warm themselves, they had built a fire, and Paul was throwing wood on the fire, and a poisonous snake jumped out, latched on itself on his hand, and he shook it off back onto the the fire. The same word for shook it off is the root word for abhor. That root word is also used when Jesus telling his disciples when they went out two by two to go spread the gospel, he said, if a house doesn't receive you or your message. Shake the dust off your feet against that house. That shake off the dust is the same root word as abhor, to separate from evil. Those things that would harm you, stay away from them. Get, get, get them out of the house. If, if you're... Um, in the midst of trying to lose some weight, don't get a dozen donuts and leave them on the counter. Get rid of that which is going to be against what you need to do. Abhor what is evil. Separate from us. Then he says, cling to what is good or, or hold fast to what is good. That's like gorilla tape. I mean, get solid. It won't come off. Hold on. Hold on. In Paul's imagery here, it's like grabbing somebody wrist to wrist and pulling along. Don't ever let go. So that's this um, beginning of love genuinely. Get rid of what's evil and cling to what is good, <clears throat> and he's referring back to the rest of Romans. What's good? What's evil? Well, we've seen what evil is in that vastness of what sin is. We've seen what good is in the grace and mercy that comes in Jesus Christ. God has already told us what good and evil is, so separate and Hold fast to. Love must be genuine, God's way. And then he says further on, verse 10, we pick it up again. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Two more ways of let love be genuine. Love one another here. He, he's actually specifically talking about those within the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now he's starting to talk about this emotion. We're connected emotionally. We, we like each other. 
and sometimes we don't like each other, but we're still connected as family to build into good relationships. And then there's the other side of outdo one another in showing honor. Some families are very quick to point out the negative. I recently watched a basketball game. The team that I was cheering for was supposed to win. And they did not. I don't know who you cheer for. I'm not going to tell you who I was cheering for. But my initial response was to criticize the coach, criticize the players that I thought did not do a good job. My initial gut reaction was not to honor the coach or to honor the players. Paul doesn't give um, the advice when somebody does good, honor them. When somebody agrees with you, honor them. When somebody excels, honor them. What he's saying here is, is, can you bring others more honor than they can bring you? Wait, you want others to think well about you, speak well about you, give you that little boost up? Sure, we all want that. But we should want that even more for those around us. So honor one another. In fact, outdo each other in doing it. Not in a cheesy, fake way. But in a real, good, positive way. And then more guardrails are put up for us. First, we are to love genuinely. And then we begin here in in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. The imagery there is actually fervent in spirit is like boiling, a rolling boil. In spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12 Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. It's probably a good thing for some of us to drive 25 and we see those guardrails. We take them into account. Um, Some of us have gone through studies where we take each one of those phrases and spend uh, a long time digesting what that means, seeing examples. (laughs) 
But if you're going 100 miles an hour through life, 100 miles an hour through the Christian life, being positive and directive and zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ, those guardrails have to be there. You have to know that they're there. And whether you think about them intentionally or not, these are things that keep our Christian life in the right direction with the right passion. And then in verse 14, he continues to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Jesus had said to, to pray for those who curse you. And then in verse 5 or 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We like that verse. Um, we need to live that verse out. Live in harmony with one another. I want you to live in harmony with me, but harmony is not necessarily total agreement. Um, singers up here this morning, one would sing melody, another would hit the harmony, and that's all I know, but it sounded great. <laughs> Good job. <clears throat> being in tune so that together it's a wonderful thing. End of verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Good guardrails. Now, the rest of this paragraph, just listen to it. Read along. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. <clears throat> but leave it to the wrath of the Lord of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's what I need right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This chapter starts in verse 12 by Paul challenging us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is one of those examples of do not be conformed to this world. This world says, if you hit me, I can hit you back. If I'm a go-getter, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. You swindle me, I'm going to take you to the cleaners. You gossip about me, 
Boy, have I got a story about you. You tear me down a little bit in somebody's eyes, I'm going to wreck you. That's normal in the world today. And if you don't believe me, ask a couple of people that I I, um, know at Fellowship Reform Church where I worship, because they're on Facebook a lot. And some of that stuff goes flying around. Paul says, don't do that. Follow the example of Christ instead. To the contrary, he says in verse 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This person who is attacking, who is against us or this group that's indifference to us and in, in trying to destroy us. If we feed them, if we give them something to drink, the end of verse 20, the end of verse 20, you will heap burning coals on his head. Wait a minute, that sounds a little like vengeance. That sounds a little like revenge. Oh boy, I get burning coals on his head. That's what I used to think. But the whole passage doesn't track that way. It doesn't say, go ahead, do it, or be nice to them, be nice to them, because in the end, God's going to get them. Go get them, God. There is, in that day and age, the image of people, men or women, carrying the fire for cooking the meal on their head so that they can get coals from one place that has a fire to a place that the fire has gone out. By doing good, you will help them to supply their daily needs. By doing good to them, you'll give them coals of fire that will sustain them. By doing good to them, you will give them coals which God can ignite into faith, grace, forgiveness, salvation, so that these coals of fire, this enemy, will no longer be an enemy, but will be a saved friend in our family. Paul finishes this with overcome evil with good. As much as we can, Paul is saying across the table to you, I appeal to you. God's gifted you. Use that gift. Never, never stop. God's loved you. Never stop. Let your love be genuine. 
You're going to find people that are against you at times. Be good to them. Pray for them that God may turn their lives to Christ so that the evil will be turned to good. Let's pray. Almighty God, these things are only possible in in your abilities and the gifts that you give. Thank you for all the mercies and graces we see in Romans. And Lord, as you challenge us, as Paul does, to live it out. Give us more wisdom. Give us more depth of faith. Give us more understanding of how we can, in fact, do these things that we are being called to. In Christ's name alone, amen.